Welcome to A Listening Life, the podcast for coaches who are finding it really hard work to build a sustainable, profitable business full of clients. I'm Ali King-Smith, sharing inspiration, stories and lessons learned from some of my successful peers and colleagues who've managed to crack the code and break through. My conversation today is with the generous and giving Gary Cole, founder and MD of Archipelo Coaching replace the word selling or flogging stuff which is the market trader image that people have with with you are simply seeking to help them helping versus selling everything is an experiment you know one of three things happen when you try an experiment you either hit the jackpot it fails or you find something in the middle where you can evolve from it so there's a two out of three chance that an experiment will kind of go somewhere you've got to be brave enough to to try these things and to give it a go i think A Listening Life is a business dedicated to helping coaches who are tired of trying to grow their business into something that makes them happy and brings in the money. Podcasts, events, mentoring and courses. Find us on Instagram at A Listening Life and through the website listening-life.co.uk. My conversation today is with the generous and giving Gary Cole, founder and MD of Archipelo Coaching. Like me, he has a commercial sales background before becoming a coach and then a leader of a consultancy, so I was especially keen to invite Gary to speak to me. Trying to work out what we can share as sales leaders to help weary coaches get going more easily is the focus of my work at A Listening Life, so we both hope this conversation really helps people who find sales cringy to recognise that it is possible to do it without the cringe and be a thoroughly good guy like Gary. So introducing Gary Cole, speaking to me in September 2022 from his office online. If I take you back in a time machine to the moment in your business coaching career, so your second career, I think at least second, where you suddenly thought, I think this is a thing. I'm going to be able to do this as my main job. My listening life is my main business life. I I probably would say there's two answers to that I'll probably park the second answer and answer give you the first part which is I've had a successful corporate leadership career um, I've worked at O2 I've worked at ITV Telegraph a few startups and I'd loved it um, sadly I think the last job I had at O2 was on paper my dream job it, well, I was the commercial director for a large part of O2 but in reality I was really just analyzing spreadsheets and playing political games in in leadership meeting environments and Mm. I felt like really what had got me to that position in the first place was one of the things that had really taken me through my whole career was actually having a sort of natural connection and talent with people Um, people of all types my customers uh, the teams that used to work for me and my stakeholders and, and I felt like I was spending less of my time doing that and more of my time doing parts of the job which I had to learn to be good at and I didn't like at all so I didn't find it nourishing and I had to I had the chance to leave uh, on a voluntary redundancy basis and I remember that I had an incredible zeal and determination and grit to commit to my wife uh, that I said I'm going to do this and you can you give me a year and I'll make a career, I'll make a successful, year one will be as successful as my last year at O2. Nice. And if it's not, I, I promise that I'll go back to the corporate world. So I sort of gave myself a challenge um, wow. and I I respond well to personal challenges. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, I had quite uh, a high desire to not return to that environment. I felt like I'd had a good 
chunk of my career and life uh, in that time, but I desperately did not want to return to it. So I had I felt an incredible grit and desire and zeal to make a success of it. So it was yeah. June 2012 when I set a business up, which was just over 10 years ago. Mm, brilliant. So some real fire under the pan there of I've promised my lovely wife I'm going to make this work and I now have a year. So so what happens then? <laughs> uh, well, I uh, initially set the business up without having done my professional qualification. Uh, I chose to do the PG cert with Barefoot. Uh, so I was actually, I sort of set the business up and I was out selling uh, my very rough, raw and ready early product offering before I was even qualified as a coach. And I didn't, I only had really one job in the whole of the back end of uh, 2012. And my first job was working with the NHS, the leadership team at the NHS in uh, in Sussex. Um, so I can't really claim, honestly, that, so my first paying job was 2012 but really I always feel like January 13 was the the day that I kind of really started trading properly mm-hmm. but I did have that initial three-month period where I was selling feeling like a fraud genuine fraud I think because I was selling my services as a professional coach without having been qualified but sure. it was something that I was prepared to do just shorten that timeline and get myself towards that goal <laughs> of, yeah uh, and we all know lots of people who are wonderful coaches before the coaching qualification that just takes it deeper I think doesn't it so I'm sure you were delivering great um, people development at that stage and I'm going to come back in a wee while to when you describe that very easily as an offer a product an offer so I'm very um, tweaked by that so let me come back to that but for now keep going so you you've had a a brave first few months you've managed to land an NHS contract that'd be interesting to find out how you got that as well but now we're in January 2013 you've started to feel like it's the new year. It's the proper launch. Well, I know I know a big part of this conversation today is to help people pick up small tips, big tips mm-hmm. of anything they can do to help themselves. And I would like to be really honest and say that, um, first of all, I got an introduction to meet the CEO. That was just from a, a mutual business contact. We might return to the power of your network a bit later. But yeah. um, I was lucky in the sense that I did a very good job with my first intervention I did with that leadership team. And the CEO said, will, will you stay on doing two days a week for a nine month period? Um, and I agreed to that. Now, I look back and I consider that extremely lucky for me and, and also not not luck, but it was fortuitous for me at that time in my business because that essentially enabled me to transition. I didn't then have this kind of huge binary lights on, lights off moment or yes. lights off, lights on moment. Um, it enabled me to transition. It enabled me to have enough of a financial buffer to use the rest of my time to f- fine tune and give myself a bit of breathing space to take my archipelago to to market. Um, yes. And I think that I, I think if I could go back in time, I would definitely do the same again. And my my early tip for people to listening is is think about your transitional journey and do not do big it's just an, a question of risk if you do big light lights off big lights on you, you it's just a question of risk and I, I think I was lucky enough to have a transitional period where of nine months to really almost essentially do two jobs which was to continue setting up my my business but at the same time you know earning a consultant wage with the NHS so yes you can obviously imagine I'm itching to product that um the idea of it being lucky because it's lucky that the NHS team near you needed some development but it's not lucky that Gary Cole ended up with an interim job that just made that transition easier so 
I've heard some nice stories of people building that transition. Some people have done it by having a big pot of cash ready um, so they can work for a year without needing to earn any money. Other mm-hmm. people have done it with a few days a week working for someone. Other people have done it by working in a cafe for a bit while they do some coaching. But I, I really agree with you that some thinking around that transition is is very healthy and very helpful for getting braver because then you make better decisions, don't you, based on it's safe, it's an abundant mindset. It, yeah, it certainly gave me... Um, in a cold-hearted, callous business sense, it, it gave me a financial buffer so then I could pl- use the rest of that time to trial and pilot uh, conversations. I wasn't under pressure. as yes. I wouldn't have been as under pressure as I would have been had I have just gone out cold and said, right, my business is now live, come and buy from me. So I think the transitional year of 2013 really helped me just almost as a bedding ground and I think I'm humble enough also to say as well, I think it took me at least that long, if not some years later, to overcome a quite genuine sense of self-doubt, ego, fear, uh, imposter syndrome, all of those horrible things that we all go through. It, it, it enabled me to just work through some things myself internally. And I, I think we all have it. Every person I know does and anybody that doesn't admit to it is a bit of a liar, I think. But uh, I certainly <laughs> I certainly had it. And it just enabled me to perhaps soften my feelings of self-doubt like I was a fraud as a professional coach yeah nice so there must have been a bridge period then so we go from an interim that's working to that moment when you think oh this is this is properly working now so what happened to step over that hurdle probably if I just went if I could go back a tiny bit my career in the most simple sense possible was um, I worked in professional sales I worked in professional management and I, I was of course a professional leader so as a direct consequence of that, my the proposition that I created at Archipelago was uh, ostensibly uh, almost like a tiered level of services, which is I will help you lead better, I will help you manage better, and I will help you sell better. So my products were very had a very coachy spin on it, but very much based on my historical career experience. And I think that is, I think that gave me a level of assurity and confidence that I knew what I was talking about. Um, it was the approach I was continuously trying to get right. So in that lovely period of 2013, when I was, I did have that transitional phase, I was able to sell my pants off, quite frankly, to all yeah. sorts of people that I knew, lots of people I didn't know. And I am good at selling and I do like selling. And I was able to convert a lot of those into 2014. Um, but of course, it was just me. And you know, when you're selling a company of just me and I was punching way above my weight, some very large organizations to some very, you know, experienced teams. And um, and I got I got away with it and I did OK with it. But I think I do think I look back at, the, at a turning point at some point in 2014 when I, I realized the value of stopping stop saying me and I because you do look like a one person band doing that yeah. and to start selling the product, the company offering on the basis of we. Uh, and us and suddenly you sound like you're a lot more credible and uh, stable uh, and and a bit more the sort of company that larger organizations would like to work with so that all happened for me in probably 2014 I would say. I hear so often coaches saying that they hate selling I don't like selling and um I was talking to another colleague who knows you and actually named you as one of the generous um, mentors that she had lunch with when she first got going, Elaine de la Cruz. And she's got a sales background. So I'm interested to hear that you have and I have and just wondering how we can share some of that love for selling as opposed to the fear of selling. So when you say I do enjoy selling, 
tell us a bit more about that. What is it that's nice for you about the selling process? Oh, that's a great question. I I think if you, if I was to go back to my previous life in my previous career, I would probably have answered that quite different to now, actually. Mm-hmm. And I think that's significant in this in my response to you because I think what it always used to be about was almost like the thrill. It's a bit like a game. It's a bit like a playing a game of sports. The trial and error, the, the cut and thrust, the rejection, the failure. If you win the game 3-2, to use that my cheesy sport analogy, it's, <laughs> it gives you an incredible sense of satisfaction and achievement. Um, and I think that people that are good at sales have that sort of slightly diehard, determined attitude. My, I still have that in me, um, but I do honestly think that even in my previous life, the very best high performing salespeople were always the quiet people who lived in the shadows. They were always the quiet people who asked the most excellent questions. They were not the ones that were the fast talkers, the, the, the ones that kept to a patter. They are not great salespeople. They're actually the worst average performing salespeople. And they always have been, actually. So if you drew a Venn diagram of professional coaching and professional sales, you end up with a huge overlap in the middle, which is which is curious, non-judgmental. When I say non-judgmental, I mean, you're not trying to seeking to manipulate. You're genuinely trying to understand what somebody needs and why and perhaps even be daring enough to hunt for the unsaid when you're selling as well Mm. in the same way that you would do when you coach and I have found that since I've become a coach and many years later since I've become an experienced coach my selling has become incredibly more effective as a result and I sometimes look back 15 years ago and I with my head in my hands I think I don't just don't know how I used to sell in my previous life because and I would like to reassure you know something I feel quite strongly about actually because there's a lot of um, unhelpful thinking beliefs and assumptions that a lot of people have about selling because I think they have a mental image of a of the worst salesperson they've ever dealt with you know that yeah. you know that, and you know you know whether that's a dodgy car dealer or a recruitment consultant or an estate agent all these horrible images that people conjure up in their minds they often think I just don't want to look like that person I'm shortcutting this slightly but I do believe that people think that when they're selling the image of the person they're selling to of them is of that worst person they've ever had that experience with. And I think quite genuinely now uh, I do authentically believe, and I think this is a authentic belief rather than a a spin belief. It's uh, I'm helping somebody. I'm seeking to help somebody. But if you believe as I do that my company provides services to help teams and companies perform better, then the sales process is a joyful one because it's the start of the process of helping me understand how I can help them perform better. So if, Absolutely. You re- if you replace the word selling or flogging stuff, which is the, the market trader <laughs> image that people have with, with you are simply seeking to help them. Helping versus selling. Uh, yes. I know that's a simple re- reframing thing, but if you, you've got to believe it, of course, you can't. And I think so there's something around that which I think um, is quite important. Absolutely. It's funny timing. I was literally half an hour ago walking my dog around the field picturing the Venn diagram in my head of what the overlap is having had this conversation about selling and coaching and I think there's even more in the shared spot in the middle around um, understanding uh, body language when somebody's loving something and finds something helpful as as a conversation understanding motivation understanding values understanding how to 
provide the right solution because you've heard the problems really beautifully. The Venn diagram overlap is giant. I think perhaps the only difference on the sales side is that you've got something in mind that you're trying to also bring to the conversation, which as a coach you'd be trained not to do. But I think the best sales outcome comes when you're willing to release that anyway for our solution isn't the right one for you, but I've got a mate who could. And then if you think with abundance around those lines, you're not flogging anything anymore. You are genuinely in a win-win conversation, which can only go to good places because the people that you say we can't help you will always come back for another conversation about something else if it's been helpful. Correct. And I think you just put a light on, dare I say, quite an advanced um but simple piece of the Venn diagram where coaches and sales, great sales people overlap, which is, are you prepared to authentically offer, talk yourself out of business on occasions yeah. uh, in the, in, you know, we, that cliche of lose the battle, win the war. Well, are you prepared to lose the battle in front of you for a sh- in an attempt to that, that, that respect and authenticity, you, you will pay dividends with somebody a bit later on. But even before you get to that stage though, um, I do think that, um, you know, if you are in perhaps sales and coaching mode together, uh, mm. a, a, a model that I still sometimes revert to, even when I'm coaching senior execs, when I'm helping them to improve their their influence. So whether it's influencing another human being internally or whether you are selling things, the, the crux of it is uh, a desperately simple model that I always follow called find out, show how. So bad salespeople will always go to the show how first because they're talking sure. Right. So as coaches, we should be able to write down five to ten of the most amazing questions that the person in front of you has never heard before. We should be able to do that and be fleet of foot enough to ask those questions in response rather than planning them. Once you've heard enough, you just have to then say, well, I've got something to give you. I'm going to show how what I have can directly and authentically help you with what you've told me. And I'm going to show you how every justification of what I'm offering you has a link to what you've told me because I've listened, I've listened so well, that quite frankly will help somebody feel understood. If they feel understood, they will, they will probably progress with you. Um, if you, if you offer them something which is uh, not aligned to what they have told you they need, you quite frankly, you'll look like the, you know, the dodgy flogger. But, and you so don't deserve it, to win it, yeah. <laughs> but, but there is a desperate simplicity to effective influencing and selling, which is find out first, show them how what you have will help them with what they told you i sometimes even say to people that i coach very senior leaders i'm like look if you go to a a restaurant and you have a fantastic server great servers will always recap what they've heard before moving away from the table and that actually is a demonstration that you've listened well it takes guts to do that and i to do that in a professional sales environment takes guts and it's okay to say have I missed anything is there anything else that I've missed that's important because until you've completed that circle of find out properly you are incapable of showing how properly um and just as a it's so simple but it is amazing how many people do get that a little bit wrong yes absolutely we all know that being listened to and having it summarized makes us feel valued and heard and respected and it's a virtuous circle So let me go back to this word products and offers, because um, I found in my business, I was initially just building everything brand new every time I had a conversation. So I, I did listen really well and I constructed something brand new every time. And I'm constantly treading the step over to creating some offers, some things bespoke, but some offers which will fit 
to solve lots of problems, which then become scalable. Looking at your website and listening to you talk, it feels as if you've got some forms of offers as well in your business. Is that right? Are you constructing things that clients can look at and understand what they are before they meet you? Yeah, a tip I would offer, and I think something I've probably my greatest personal strength but over the years is I'm highly responsive and I'm very willing to tweak things that I'm doing to, in the pursuit of making them even better or you know even more effective for a client or even more effective for ourselves um, and, and so that kind of evolution not revolution I think is a if you see life like one big experiment, which is how I often start my chemistry yes. meetings yeah. with coaches, it's like we are just going to be creating a series of experiments. They are not tasks and actions. You're going to leave here and probably car crash with them. But you've got to see it like an experiment. And anyway, that's a side conversation. But I, I think that um, you, but that said, I think you do need to have a sort of courage of your conviction of what you're, you know, in restaurants. I think they call it a cheerleader product what's your cheerleader on the menu is it is it the fish mm. and chips is it the burger and chips and I think there is something to be said about backing what your cheerleader offering and product and service is and then innovate from there I think there is a slight danger there's a balance to be struck somewhere because yes you want to continuously evolve and experiment to make it better but you don't want to continuously chuck the baby out with the bathwater either that you, sure. yeah, um, so you sort of have to start somewhere and I think the final thing I would say with that is that you know of course even just in the last three years, just with the pandemic, I think, I think there's a great skill to, I think as, as uh, coaches, we're good at, should be good at listening to one person, but we also should be good at observing what's going on around us as well. I, environmental things, shall we say. And I think I probably observed quite a a lot of um, new needs that had emerged from our existing clients during the pandemic around people lacking in connection, how to manage and lead, in environments virtually for example and all this kind of thing and so we we did a whole series of quite quick innovations around those things to quite frankly give people answers to the problems that they were facing but i would still say they were innovations on top of our solid cheerleader product <laughs> rather than you know the new new products and services if you see what I mean. rather than back to the whiteboard again to start from the beginning yes yeah. yes i think that's exactly that reflects our experience as well where having something to hang your hat on that when people read about it they recognize themselves in what you're saying I think is a is a great start so we have a product lab to leadership which is very obvious if you're a scientist it's going to help me step out of the lab into leadership it doesn't need reinvention every time and that's been really helpful for people understanding aha this is where they fit but doesn't mean that that's what we do with everyone for everyone all of the time I do think it helps you fit in so you have a a niche sector don't you you you, or do you still stay in the media sector or is that that your cheerleader sector as it were oh yeah quite honestly I think if you'd have asked me that question four ish years ago three ish years ago I think rough numbers but I think about 80% of our company income would have come from the media tech and entertainment industry which is a probably a direct reflection of um, not just me but also the whole team's uh, network Um, however if you ask me now it's literally swung completely so we are now 80% multi-sector and 20% media and we are furthermore we've really grown internationally um, sometimes as a result of working with satellite offices from the head offices in London 
but also a massive driver of our current business is is working with um on video with companies you know like i worked i did a, a project back back in june for an organization in auckland it was delivered uh, virtually i had to work from 9 p.m till 2 a.m a uh, couple of times a week <laughs> which yeah was tough i had to eat some jelly babies to get me through that one but but but, <laughs> but, but actually that's really opened up our client base so all things considered whilst it's been a very tough three years for everybody uh, for lots of reasons and myself personally actually professionally speaking i think it's really helped us really open up many many new doors to to new sectors and new, new clients and new territories so yes um, so the niche conversation which i have a lot with new coaches it feels as if you've taken the path which is the one I say is worth stepping onto if you don't know where you're going which is find the niche that's super familiar to you so yours was media tech and the creative scene and start somewhere so what's and now you're all over all the sectors but that's where you began your journey do you think that represents what you're describing there yeah that's a good um thank you for just sort of gently calling me out on that just because that's where we are right now actually where we began was very much um me selling to my inner circle of network that I had as a legacy from my career in the media industry so that that yes. was probably uh, and I, I often like to think of it like if you compare it to the metaphor of climbing a mountain and the mountain might have five stages on it with multiple mm -hmm. footholds on it you know stage one to your point I absolutely do think that it's helpful to have a very clear product that answers a very present problem in an organization mm -hmm. if you're selling to organizations uh, and it does make complete sense that you have some credibility and known network in, in that in that immediate space so I, and I do feel like that you you can't move to stage two of the mountain I feel until you've perhaps cracked the first phase so you know, I don't know, to use my cheesy analogy of a mountain, I might be on stage five, 11 years in, but it's, mm. I've had to kind of slowly evolve through many stages to kind of get to the place where you're working globally um, in multi-sector, in FTSE listed sure. businesses. It didn't, it, did, it didn't accidentally happen like that. It was a big journey. No, so. didn't wake up there. Yes, <laughs> no. absolutely. So let me take you back. You mentioned stakeholders. You said perhaps we'll come back later to talk about our network and the way we can be helped by our network and stakeholders. What what was that on your mind when you were saying that? What do you think is helpful for people to think about? I don't mean to perhaps get anybody to suck eggs here, but in, in perhaps sales, you, you'll often end up labelling an opportunity or a conversation that you're having with a, a temperature gauge. So you'll often say it's really cold or it's really hot or it's warm somewhere in the middle. And I, I just think in really simple terms, if you are contacting somebody that you have no previous heritage or conversational relationship with that is cold and that is a that is a high risk low reward kind of pathway in fact yeah. as a high courage yeah <laughs> or, you know yeah. Uh, so 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 the, uh, uh, the other the other end of the spectrum is when they are very you know that person very well you've got an established relationship they you know clearly you would want to be spending your initial efforts in some of those people to um, not just sell to directly, but something I learned is there's a side tactic, which I think is very beneficial, which is actually sometimes to ask for people's help and support and yeah. advice, because I think people are really willing often to help people. So you might not be selling directly to your inner circle of hottest existing stakeholders, but ask for their help. Who do they know mm. that would be worth speaking to? Just ask that question. To say do you know two or three people that you wouldn't mind introducing me to so if you're really i did that a lot in the early days and 
people are willing to help. And if they really know you and really respect you, they will, of course, introduce you to one or two people. Again, yes. that person you are then being referred on to, you is still in a warm to hot, hot bucket. So you're standing a high, much higher chance of their having a meaningful progression to to turning that into business. Um, I I think that, that I do see a lot of people spending far too much of their time and energy on social media or blogs or, or LinkedIn. But you are you are fishing in a pond where it's cold and, you know, there's a lot of disproportionately ineffective energy that I think people spend in that place where probably should search a little bit harder, a little bit sharper with their with their their network that they know. Yes. Even I think there's an additional twist to that. Um, we we're talking about LinkedIn um, with some colleagues recently, and they said, does LinkedIn work for you? And my response is it really does work for us, but through warm contact. So I think we put out content which we know our advocates like and share, and then they tell people to contact us. So I still don't go for cold contacts on LinkedIn um, because, well, maybe perhaps once in our 10-year history, we've had someone who was bang on for what we were talking about. But it's usually I, I keep our company present in the minds of people who care about us and then it works. So it's still the same warm contacts. It, I, I completely agree with that. I, I love LinkedIn. I like looking on LinkedIn at what's going on myself as a consumer. But we use it a lot, but, but really for a, a sort of PR benefit, which is to your point, which is we, we like to just remind people. It's like, hey, we're doing some good work over here. It's just We just like to remind people. But I think there's a very indirect link to then the sales process that we have it it's like i don't post on linkedin and then hope that i'll sell something i just don't think that that the no. it kind of works in that way uh, the other thing i would like to say just at this point i know this is all about sharing tips and i i would love to pass on a piece of wisdom and insight actually from a a, a good friend of mine um uh, called spencer gallagher that wrote a book called agency onomics so it's about marketing agency so even if you don't work in in marketing agencies the book is is awesome because it's all about how to kind of grow a small business actually so and he said to me very cleverly about I think it was roughly 2016 he said to me your problem is you're selling too much because you're good at it and you're not he said all of the he, he came up with a model called 10 30 30 30 and, uh, and I'd like to share this because it, it kind of really did rock my world at the time. And I, it did make me change my approach to trying to win new clients, which is 10 yeah. percent of your of business will be lucky. You can't mm -hmm. predict it. The other 30 percent should be sales and marketing. So literally you selling or you marketing. But the other two 30 percent really sh sort of rocked me, which is that 30 percent should be thought leadership. And the other 30 percent should be partnerships and referrals. So um, if I just explore quickly the, the thought leadership piece, I, I mean, within that, you've probably got the blogs and all that kind of thing. But I took the opportunity to launch a thought leadership club for our best clients at that time wow. called, called the Naked Coaching Club, which is fee free. We don't seek to charge ticket prices for it. Never have. And I doubt we ever will. But we get people to come together. Often is peer learning, which is why we call it Naked Coaching Club. You've got to come and prepare to be bare your soul a bit. Um, nice. or, or we kind of share knowledge and new things with them. Um, now, that has been a tremendous uh, booster over the years for our very best clients to give them something back, to nurture those great relationships and, quite frankly, to then re-engage in some new opportunities in sales conversations. Um, mm -hmm. We still do it. 
Um, we probably should do more of it, but we, um, and the other one is um, partnerships um, and referrals. So um, I have a couple live still, but back if I go back to the 2014, 2015 era, I had eight different agreements with, with kind of um, relatable organizations in my space. So I had an agreement with a recruitment consultant, um, uh, a sort of uh, how should I like a, a pure play business consultancy that didn't coach. And more or less, what I said to them is, look, I I noticed that they were also inside clients doing their work at the same time I was in a client doing my work. And I said, why don't you tell me which other clients you're in that I'm not in, and you refer me in, and I'll do the same for you, and I'll we'll just give you a, a cut of the revenue. And I mean, one year it's a it's a lovely story, but um, I helped one of my partners get into about four clients and I think from memory we generated him and his business about £80,000 in one year and he gave me some business worth £80,000 and £500 and he said in that basis he I owed him some money for the £500 and so I said I'll tell you what <laughs> let, let's just go and have a, a cheap lunch somewhere we can put ourselves on the back and we helped each other's business but but but, but that is much more effective, I think, yes. than spending money on Google keywords, Facebook ads, whatever it might be. I, mean, I think that's yes. risky. And I, I think that partnership piece, it's just, again, it's just being a bit more creative and wily and resourceful about uh, about your inner network. And so partnerships yes. I, I really did help me in the early days. I think. And it serves so many other needs as well, need to belong, need for, for consultation, for sharing, you know, all the things that people who say they're lonely as freelancers would also need so that who's playing in the same playing fields that I want to be on is such an easy start of, of where to go looking but I also think that's helped by having a niche in the beginning so say we say you're in the science sector who else is in the science sector I, I think it's um so useful I had a moment of what the devil should we do a few years ago I think we just finished a, a great big project and I did that thing where you look up and think oops I've been really busy coaching and it's not enough in the pipeline and we just exhibited at one very specialist exhibition mm. and it really focused my mind so much on who else wants to be there who else is in the med tech sector and suddenly I knew who to speak to and where to go and I was really energized by that I would definitely recommend that to a coach who's sitting at, at the desk thinking I'm really jaded and stuck and I don't know where to go is just decide where to exhibit and play there hard you know really milk it for I, I energy yeah, look, you know, and I know that I, it's all well and good talking about our or my successes in the last ten years, but actually, I've tried lots of things that have crashed and burned as well. And I think, yeah. I think, and that's why I just return to that mindset of everything is an experiment. You know, one of three things happen when you try an experiment: you either hit the jackpot, it fails, or you find something in the middle where you can evolve from it. So there's a two yeah. out of three chance that an experiment will kind of go somewhere. But you've got to you've got to be brave enough to just try these things. So in theory your your exhibition could have bombed, but you wouldn't you weren't to know yeah. that. Um but you've got to just you've got to be brave enough to to try these things and to um give it a go, I think. Yeah, and there's a level of risk. I mean it was a an affordable exhibition with a lovely group of mates who were on the team. So we had yeah, the worst that could happen for us is that we spent a little bit of cash and had a really nice lunch in Birmingham. <laughs> so there was nothing bad that could happen. I think that binary success or failure is not something I, that resonates with me so much. I think it's rare that you have a total bomb go off. It's very rare that, isn't it? Yeah, but also just a very, very micro, desperately simple technique within the thought leadership piece, which is part of 
excellent key account management, which is a dry phrase for selling to your best customers. But I have historically, and I'm very hot on some of my team at doing this regularly as well, is just just sometimes send a really relevant, highly beneficial piece, like a news article you might find or, or a new book you might find, just something like a little kind of mental snack, shall we say, a little article or a little video or anything. Send it on to your best client and say, you know, I thought of you when. I, yes. here is the article here um, I'm, I'm sending you this article because I know that you're really challenged with a lack of connection in your workplace with employees I'm just making that up so this article is about how to reconnect people in the workplace so I thought you'd really benefit from that I hope you will speak to you soon at no point are you saying I'm contacting you to sell you stuff of course it's implied that you kind of would like a conversation but the very fact that you're helping them with quite an incisive, helpful, directly relevant and beneficial piece of thought leadership keeps you in their mind. So when they are ready to say, oh, I've got a new coaching program to talk about, or I've got a new team that aren't getting on very well, I need your help to come and make me result. It's you they come to first because you're the one who's always looking to help them. Um, and I, I used to do that a lot more. Um, I've perhaps become a bit, not complacent, but things have moved on a little bit for us in our business now but I used to do that a lot I used to be very yes. very hot on that and it, you know what it takes very little time very little time um, and it's highly effective so again I would I would encourage that yes it's nice to revisit these and polish those off I was just thinking the same of oh I used to do that as well but I think I do do it now but um, not in such a planned way but I have had some questions recently from coaches who are a bit stuck saying how how terrifying it is on a Monday morning to sit and think I actually haven't got anything to do this morning I don't know what to do so thinking of some projects like that of finding some great bits to send to great people is a nice piece of ritual a bit of a something to put in the diary to to get going that's right for sure yeah so I would love to I've got so many things I'd like to ask you about but I'm aware of time so I think I would love if you happy to take you right back to the very beginning so Two things really. One is any top tips you've got that you think we might not have covered for people just starting out. And the other, if we've time, is actually how did you get to that first piece of NHS work? So how did you step out of a job and actually start some work? So for people who are genuinely have got nothing going on. I'll probably pick up just on your the thread of how you finished the last conversation, really, which is that feeling of waking up on a Monday morning with, with where do I start? Blank piece of paper. That is an unhelpful belief and assumption right there, isn't it? Just right there. And So I'm going to say something a bit tough, actually, which is that, you know, I'm humble enough to say that I went through some professional learning with um, a lady called Claire Breeze, who was a Genkai Buddhist monk. She's amazing. Her whole approach is about look a bit harder inside of you rather than reading yet another book. Look, Look a bit harder inside you before going external for help. And, you know, and I I, when I was I'm going to jump ahead to some insight I was given when I was 17 years old I was doing my A-levels I was a lazy student in the summer holidays and my best friend's dad saw us lounging around on his sofas and he came back from work he said boys if you don't have a job your job is to get a job yes I, I want you to spend 40 hours this week looking for a job that is your job even I can still remember it as clear as a bell and I, and I, I actually think if you're starting out I think that somehow you need to sort of look a bit inward to self-coach and park that procrastination and that that kind of foggy feeling that you don't know where to start and actually look at it like if I was being paid 
several hundred pounds today to work for as a freelance for a company and I had to pull my socks up and give everything I have leave nothing on the table what would I do what would yes. I achieve I won't go too much into my own time management techniques but just because it's that's not what this is about but I I'm very clear every single day on one thing that I have to absolutely do for myself or do for the business I, I don't list out 25 things I don't keep a to-do list but I'm super super clear at 8 30 on a Monday morning what my five are for the each of the five days of the working week I don't project manage it I don't say Tuesday I'm going to do this or but I'm literally very clear on one thing just the primary thing I have to absolutely work to a world-class level at or to my level at and and I'm, I'm not prepared to sacrifice to those high standards and I do think that basic discipline will always trump sporadic motivation I, I, it sounds so cliche to say that but if you were to hear those words of my dad's late father your job is to get a job if you don't have a job it's like well it has to start with a granite discipline of like what is the one thing I'm doing today and just yes. absolutely seek to smash it beyond what you think you're capable of those moments add up you know that five a week 20 or 20 in a working month 60 in a working quarter if you're applying yourself to the best you can be in those micro amounts suddenly you're being you know you you, you, you and, I, and I'm sorry to uh, sort of uh, ramble on a bit about that one but I, I do actually think if I didn't apply myself in that way with that rigor back in the early days, because I also had the self doubt, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm a fraud. I had all those whispers in my head, like everybody else mm -hmm. does. And I had the blank piece of paper procrastination, but my, the antidote to that is to stare it in the face and do the opposite really. Yeah, absolutely. And, and do it, do something. Cause until you're doing something, cause I hear a lot of coaches saying, Oh, I hate marketing. I hate putting myself out there. I hate, I hate, and I'm split. I, I was actually really pleased to hear you say on another podcast, I think you were talking to Kim Morgan, a real sort of tough talk around, well, you cracked how to be a coach and now you're going to have to crack how to market yourself as a coach. So if you genuinely do not want to do that and hate that whole process, you should probably get a job job because you can't get clients without getting clients. Right. Yeah. So I, I've got a real tough line on that just if you if it makes you miserable you might not want to do that you might want to do something different 100 percent. also the the hard work in any for any high performing team or high performing individual is that the hard work will always happen in the shadows where no one sees you doing it yeah. so if you're gordon ramsay with a michelin star restaurant it's the person who cleans the fridge that, sure. con that all contributes you know and uh, uh just to use a personal analogy it was raining really hard this morning i didn't want to walk my dog at 20 past eight this morning before working in the torrential rain but that's my duty as a dog owner you know you can't just say I'm not gonna you know and I kind of feel Prefer like you, yeah yes yeah, yeah, like I'm oh, sorry dog uh, you can't take it out for your yeah. life I, you just think I'm going to I don't I don't love it in that moment I hated it I did not want to do it but you just have to do it and I know that mm. that is I sound like somebody's father right now but it's a bit like actually that kind of sometimes sort of suspending that perceived choice that you have and thinking yes you know like you know, you know operate like your back is against the wall because it is then mm. you, you, you sort of in micro amounts in digestible incremental amounts I do believe that is the magic formula to one day coming up for air and saying I'm feeling like I've made some progress I'm feeling like I've got the green shoots of of something here to work from yes there's a pipeline with things <laughs> in it so I'm gonna have to come back to the NHS question I asked you how did you get from day zero to I've got into the NHS lead team was that a friend that 
introduced you in there or how did you just get your first thing? Uh, well, I, I think in that sort of late spring and summer when I had just founded the business and I literally did have a blank piece of paper. So all that procrastination that we've been talking about, <laughs> I definitely had it then. That was you. <laughs> I, I, I was, I was, I, I drank a lot of coffee in coffee shops with, with people. And as I said earlier in the podcast, it's, um, uh, I was saying, who could you help me introduce me to? So I think that it popped out of one of those many conversations. And I think from memory, it was a lady that used to coach me uh, many years prior in my career at ITV. And I was picking her brains because, you know, how did you make it in coaching and all that kind of thing? And she said, I could introduce you to a contact in, in my, you know, network. I can't do this job. I think you'd be brilliant. She's looking to essentially take, teach the executive team how to influence the GP community better rather than being nice. uh, and so basically selling you know in a in a crude sense and she said I can't do it I think you can I will introduce you are you happy to do that and I, was, I remember feeling quite scared of, which was ludicrous because I'd spent a career doing that and but um but that's how it came about but I think if you I think it was it, I don't think she rang me up and said you know, hey, I've got an intro for for you. It was because I went sort of politely searching for it. You know, and yeah, uh, you're that... making me think of yeah, Paolo Nutini's song. I'm out and about, so I'm in with a shout. You have to be out and about <laughs> to be in with a shout, and then things come. Yeah. Well, 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 funny enough, I'm not a fan of cheesy motivational quotes as as a coach. <laughs> I try my hardest not to use them as a coach, if I'm honest. But but there was there was there was one thing which sort of sums up what what this all takes um and it's actually from michael jordan the famous basketball player so it's even more cringy when people quote very famous um sports <laughs> people but, but i'm gonna go for it but he, he he's got this he's got this quote which uh, he said i missed 100 percent of the shots i never took yeah i think it's one of those quotes you think actually i'm gonna hear that again three times in my head all right i missed 100 percent of the shots i never took somebody out there's trying somebody you're your competitor is trying to take that shot and they might just make it. They might just make it if they try it. But if you're not making that micro effort, that brave attempt, that courageous call or whatever, somebody else is. So try and take a hundred shots and one of them will go in, I'm sure. (laughs) Huge thank you to Gary Cole, one of those people who comes up in conversations all the time with coaches who rave about his generosity and kindness in business. A great conversation sharing that if we genuinely seek to understand what someone needs, we're thinking of selling as a helpful process, not a tricky one. And working out how the skills of coaching are actually incredibly similar to the skills of selling. So where's the block? Thank you, Gary Cole. Always a privilege to spend time mulling over these things with you. My huge thanks to producer Steve Folland and to Lauren Hills at HQ. A Listening Life is a business dedicated to helping coaches who are tired of trying to grow their business into something that makes them happy and brings in the money. Podcasts, events, mentoring and courses. Find us on Instagram at A Listening Life and through the website listening-life.co.uk. 